The Transforming Society podcast is brought to you by Bristol University Press and Policy Press. In episodes covering a wide range of social issues, we speak to authors and editors about their books and journals to get to grips with the story their research tells and look at the specific ways in which it could transform society for the better. I'm Jess Miles, and in this episode, I'm speaking to Martial Bragadini Boo about his book, The Rules of Democracy, which is published by Policy Press. So the world can be better run. Democracy as it is now has served us well over the last hundred years, but there's been a global technological revolution that has changed the world and brought significant challenges. The system needs to evolve so that we can find solutions to global problems and make sure everyone is fairly represented at the decision-making table. Martial proposes six new rules that would mean politicians would be better held to account, public services would improve, and people would be able to contribute to their communities, amongst other things. Hi, Martial. Hello there. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. Um, So I think we need to talk about why democracy needs to evolve now and some of the detail of the rules that you're proposing and really how we can start working towards an updated and improved democracy that works better for everyone. So reading your biography, it's clear that you are particularly well-placed to write a book about how democracy can be improved. Please, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to write the book? Well, thank you very much, Jess. It's uh, it's lovely to to be here. And uh, and thank you to your listeners as well uh, for tuning in. Um, yes, I, um, I'm a regulator. I describe myself as a regulator um, and, and regulators um, enforce the rules. I mean, that's, that's what regulators do, whether you're regulating education or health or, or financial services. Um, in my case, um, I've spent um, eight years um, in organisations like the National Audit Office, checking that public money is being spent properly. Um, and I spent six years at an organisation called IPSA, which is uh, the MP's spending watchdog. So uh, so in, in all of these and other roles, I've been uh, closely involved with uh, democratic politics, supporting politicians, um, and helping to enforce the rules, various kinds, making sure that taxpayers' money is spent properly in, in one way or another. And it was after some of these experiences and, uh, and working with um, organizations like the Constitution Unit at UCL and, uh, and other places, that um, in the light of the changes that have t- been taken place uh, in, in, in countries around the world, in the UK, in the United States, uh, and in Europe and elsewhere, um, it felt like uh, we do need to think about how to uh, update democracy uh, in the light of the challenges that the world are facing. So one thing I really loved and I'm interested in is your description of democracy as humanity's most complex creation so what, why do you describe it in that way? Well, um, democracy, if it's, if it's done properly, uh, you know, where all of us um, choose somebody to represent us and make decisions on our behalf and choose how to spend our taxes, um, you know, that's an, in, an incredibly complex thing. It's, it's the same, um, you know, democracy is to society that the market is to the economy. In the, in the market... Uh, we all make our individual decisions about what to buy. We, we think maybe uh, I'll spend a bit more on something which is better quality or, um, you know, I'm concerned about the packaging so that there's less plastic. You know, whatever choices we're making, each of these individual choices, when we go to the supermarket or, or, or buy any product, um, aggregate times billions. 
uh, to create a, a market economy where firms are responsive to our needs and, and, and they meet our needs. Mm. It's a similar thing with democracy, where our decisions, our, our, our conversations, whether we write to our uh, re- representatives, our MPs or councillors, um, who we vote for, um, all of these collectively create people who are able to make decisions, complex decisions about complex issues on our behalf. Um, it's like the brain, you know, it's uh, mm. billions of synapses firing all the time, collectively creating something which, uh, which, is, um, which is almost impossible to, uh, to write out in a formula. But, um, but collectively, these politicians, you know, we can, we can come and talk about politicians because, you know, it's a difficult job that they do, but they're also, you know, they're challenged a lot. Mm. Um, they're making complicated decisions on our behalf and um, uh, and democracy is the best way in which we can all contribute to decision making about our communities I love the analogy of a brain it's like a brain or a body or something isn't it Um, and it's interesting when you compare it to the markets and that markets are driven by meeting our needs Um, sometimes it feels like democracy isn't really driven by meeting our needs, but I think that's one of the things that we're talking about resolving here. Um, But before we look at what the new rules of democracy might be, I just wanted to speak briefly about exactly why the current rules aren't working. So the world has changed. Um, Just like when we had the industrial revolution, we've had this global technological revolution. And in the book, you describe how this has led to two significant gaps. Um, One is an accountability gap, and one is an expectation gap. And you seem to come back to these throughout. So yeah. can you explain these two concepts? Yes. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the uh, expectation gap first. You know, the, the, what I talk about globalization and, and technological revolution, uh, you know, it's completely transformed what we expect from services. You know, we, right. we've got phones in our hand, we can press the screen and within three hours we can get, um, you know, some products or a book mm. or, or something like that. Um, we can see the world in our palm. Um, it's quite incredible. Um, and part, part of us expects public services to be delivered, delivered in exactly the same way. Yeah, you know, maybe. that we, um, you know, we, we can get a book or we can, we can, um, you know, meet friends or see films, download films completely um, at will nowadays. It's absolutely remarkable. Um, but public services aren't delivered in quite the same way. You know, we can't expect um, from our schools and hospitals um, or from uh, roads or councils or um, job centres uh, and the myriad other public services, the same level necessarily of a service that we can expect from the Amazons and uh, deliveries of this world, you know, who are competing in the marketplace. Public services don't compete in that way right. because they just have to provide the service to the community that they're in. So, so I think our expectations um, have increased generally as a result of everything that we can do um, through technology. Mm-hmm. And we're partly expecting all of that from public services. Now, um, a few years ago, 20, 30 years ago, um, public services did improve. You know, we brought all kinds of management techniques in from the uh, private sector to mm. improve the quality of data, um, to learn and all of those kinds of things. But, um, but uh, there, is a, there is a gap. There is a gap between what we expect from public services and what we can afford to pay. So that's the expectation gap. The accountability gap is that um, 
we we um, in a democracy, you, you can normally find people to hold to account for decisions that are made on on our behalf. So in uh, in, a, in in national government, you can uh, we can say to a politician, you've made a decision about um, these prisons or about our education system, and um, you know there are ways to hold them to to account through elections, obviously, but also mm-hmm. through select committees and other things. But um, in today's globalized world, there there are any number of decisions that are not made by people that we can hold to account. Um, this is not just about countries that are not democratic, obviously, mm. or, or decisions made by um, presidents of the United States, which is a democratic country that mm. impact on the whole world, but also global uh, companies, um, particularly in the tech sector, but elsewhere as well, uh, pharmaceutical companies and f- financial services. You know, all of these uh, companies are making decisions that uh, impact on people's lives. And it's very, very hard to hold them to account uh, for, for the decisions that they make, as we've seen when Mark Zuckerberg has been um, yeah. taken to uh, congressional committees uh, or uh, his um, colleagues have appeared before um, committees in, in the European Parliament or, or in the UK. So, so there is a gap between um, the decision makers and the people who are in the communities that, that are impacted by the decisions. Yeah, yeah. Can I just go back to the expectation gap briefly? Um, and you say um, public services can't be as fast and responsive as big organisations that are driven by the market. Is that just down to money? Or would it be the case? Is, is it the case that if public services had enough money, they could be working at that level, not at that level, but somewhere closer to that level? Or, or is um, there something about the nature of delivery of public services that just means it's going to be different? Well, um, I mean, obviously, it's partly about money. It's always it's always yeah. going to be partly about money, but um, um, but if you if you look and see what happened to um, taxation over the last hundred and fifty years, um, in, in the middle of the nineteenth century, um, when taxes were first really introduced, um, they were really really low. Um, you know, and um, and the latter part of the nineteenth century, as we began to realise that taxes could fund. Um, sewerage systems uh, that benefited us all or build roads mm. and then cr- critically after the after the first and second world wars when the welfare state was established um, you know um, we realize the benefits that we can get as a society from having publicly funded education health clean air um, and, and all the rest of it but that's increased taxation to about a third or so of yeah. our income so so of course we could spend more money and get better services, of course we could. But how much are we prepared really to take out of our incomes in order to fund them? That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a real question. Okay. So there might be other ways in which we might need to think about the delivery of public services, which is not just about uh, spending more money on them. Okay, and then we come on to the rules. Um, so democracy needs to evolve because of all the reasons we've talked about. So in the book, you offer us six new rules for democracy that will allow it to catch up with the changed world. So can you give us a flavour of those rules? Um, yeah, maybe sure. some highlights. <laughs> OK, cool. All right. Well, um, I start off with seven rules that are, are I mean, they're, they're rules in a very general sense. So the first yeah. rule is people are born with equal rights, including to freedom of and safety from harm. So, you know, these are kind of very, very basic principles um, that that kind of that 
um, our doc- democracy operates through. So these are the existing rules. These are the existing rules we have now. Yeah. Exactly. Basically, that, uh, that that we form communities, that we elect people, we choose people to make decisions on our behalf, and we give those people authority to take our money and spend it. So these yeah. are the existing rules. But um, es- essentially, um, those rules evolved after the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. when um, society radically changed, absolutely radically changed, and it led to um great reform acts um and the expansion of the franchise to working men and ultimately to women it t- took far far too long but it did happen in the end yeah. that women got the vote yeah um and and the creation of the welfare state as i say so so those are the existing rules but the, the world has changed We're, it's a global world now and it's a technologically enabled world and our expectations are higher as i've said um so um so one of the things i argue for example is that we need to have a mechanism democratically for taking decisions globally as well as nationally and locally so that needs to be a new rule another one it so that's the global parliament you're talking about yeah there. because yeah because um you know we're all subject now to things that happen globally like the internet you know or mm. a global pandemic you know a virus of course or yeah. um you know trade a global trade uh, and the rules for global trade the management of a of the pandemic and um the internet obviously as well the environment my goodness you know how could i forget that you know yeah. the environment it's a global thing who is making decisions about that whoever it is uh, the decisions impact on us all mm. and we've seen for example in the environment but the same could apply to global finance or or, or trade or the internet on the environment we've seen how difficult it is to get countries to make decisions um, and for those decisions to be enforced mm. um, and that's partly it's not only but partly because there are uh, people uh, who are not accountable making those decisions and the accountability that some of them have are to domestic electorates not yes. to the global community yeah and so if we were in a global world that we are, are now in if we are really to make decisions that are relevant to the planet whether it's on the internet or global trade or the environment, mm. you really ought to have people elected and accountable mm. uh, to a global population in exactly the same way that we expect local councillors to make decisions about our lo- local libraries and our local streets. And we yeah. expect national politicians to make decisions about national infrastructure like railways and you know, ports and, um, and the economy. So, so, so we need to evolve democracy to respond to the fact that we're now a global world rather than just uh, individual uh, countries made up in some kind of uh, Westphalian way that we've existed in for the last few hundred years. Yeah, it makes total sense when you say it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so how about taxes? Taxes. Well, you know, taxes are, are um, you know, nobody likes paying taxes, uh, but they do do good things. Uh, like they buy us uh, clean air and they buy us safety and they uh, they buy us roads that we can dr- uh, drive on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what we spend our money on is important, it's our money. Um, and we should, in my view, have much greater visibility of how that money is spent mm. and how it's taken. But at the moment, um, it's in the... Um, it's um it's a game of hide of hide and seek yeah you know, i like where... the way you describe it as that yeah <laughs> it's um uh it's it's for, for for all kinds of understandable reasons um people who are raising the money 
so that the, the treasury and uh, and others uh, try to make it um, um, hard for us to avoid paying taxes. Mm. So um, you know they um, they tax our income before we actually get it. Yeah. Um, you know VAT is applied to goods and services. So etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, all kinds of different ways because um, we need to pay tax, uh, but of course people don't like paying it. So. And of course, companies avoid tax. Lots of individuals may do as well. Um, and and also, crucially, we don't see where it goes because no. um, it's almost impossible to read public sector accounts. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done it for many years. Yeah. Um, there are certain rules that apply. The National Audit Office does a really good job in trying to put it all together. Um, yeah. Other organisations do too. But um, if you if you want to know how much you, Jess, or you know, a listener has how much of your money has actually been spent on education or health or welfare, there's really no way of finding out. But you should be able yeah. to find out because it's your money. There's a brilliant bit in the book where you've obviously done the calculations and the maths and you've kind of laid it out. And I think it says for every thousand pounds, this is how much gets spent on primary education. This is how yeah. much gets spent on healthcare. And it's absolutely fascinating. And it made me realize how little we know, like how closed off it is. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, if I, if I just give you an, an example that you just said. So for example, for every thousand pounds that you're taxed, you will spend just at random here, 29 pounds to protect the environment. Yeah. On average. Out of a thousand, um, yeah. Out of a thousand. So £29, pounds, you might spend um, £85 pounds on the armed forces, you know, so on our defence, basically. Yeah. Uh, £97 pounds on debt interest payments. So, you know, if we if we take out credit credit card debt or a mortgage, you know, we pay our debt. Government countries do the same. So about £97 pounds out of a thousand is spent on uh, debt interest payments. Um, £3 pounds three pounds out of a thousand is spent on the arts sports parks and tourism combined so so if we know i mean these are numbers that i've calculated and uh, and i'm sure economists and uh public sector auditors will correct me but (laughs) broadly speaking that's what we spent all of us we spend um from our taxes and um and i think we ought to know about that so that we can influence politicians not so we can decide for ourselves how much we spend uh certainly not so we can avoid our taxes but, but so that we can influence politicians to spend our money more in tune with what we want to spend it on. Yeah. And that will, I don't you could imagine us, couldn't you, having some kind of app on the phone where you can log in and find the latest data. And then exactly. that, that massively closes the accountability and expectation gaps, doesn't Correct. it? Um, exactly right. Yeah. It's, and it's all possible now technologically. See, that's the thing. Yeah. So, you know, we have apps which do all of this kind of stuff already. 80% of our purchases are already made electronically. You know, we just tap our card on some machine and, you know, all of those data are, are there available. So, yeah. so it's not impossible. It's difficult. And the po- politics might make it, um, you know, unappealing, but it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, what other rules should we look at? A- an important one at the moment is about politicians adhering to the rule of law yes yes um so you know obviously i'm uh, as a regulator i um i'm all about applying the rules um i say very very clearly in the book that uh, it's for politicians to set the rules that's what we ask them to do on our behalf rule setting is a difficult thing because there mm-hmm. are winners and losers yeah um but 
when the rules are set, we should all obey them. The rules often means the law. So uh, we should all obey the law. And, uh, and obviously that applies to politicians just as it, it should to everybody else. Um, and, and mostly, as again I say in the book, mostly politicians do do that. Uh, they do a really difficult job. They're under a lot of pressure, mm. abuse. Yeah. Um, two of them have been murdered in the last few years. You yeah. know, it's really, really difficult job to do well. Um, but obviously the rules apply to them just as they do to everybody else. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving through these, there's one about um, organisations being accountable for how they spend public money. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so this is, um, you know, maybe not uh, not so interesting to uh, to some people, but um, but all organisations that spend public money um, must be accountable for that. Um, they are already, uh, you know, they're audited and accounts are published, and um, they. Their accounts can be qualified in the jargon if if they're not um, if they're not up to scratch. But I also I also think that public bodies should be accountable not just for the negative you know avoiding problems kind of accountability, but also for improvement, for learning, for sharing good practice, because um, often in the marketplace in commercial firms um, companies are looking at their competitors all the time to see what's happening, what's new, what, what, how products are being improved so that they can keep improving. Because if they don't, they'll go out of business. But in the public sector, uh, that's much harder to do. Um, and we've got councils, for example, local authorities mm. up and down the country basically doing the same thing. Um, but the mechanisms for sharing learning between them about how to provide good quality housing services or to keep streets clean or to tidy up rubbish, you know, it's very, very hard for them to learn from each other efficiently. And oh, so we need to develop mechanisms for public bodies of all kinds to share what they've learned, what's gone well and what's gone badly yeah. so that everybody else can learn in a parallel way to the way that uh, happens automatically through the invisible hand of the marketplace in the in the commercial world yeah that's really interesting um so you also talk a lot in the book about how this should be regulated basically and the fact that we need independent and accountable regulators to make it all happen as it should um and then there's a final rule about kind of our responsibility as citizens and us obeying the rules of law and democracy and contributing, paying taxes, contributing yeah. our time and money to the community. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, well, I think that um, it's important also to recognise that we're members of the community. You know, we, we can't, um, I believe, um, we can't uh, think of ourselves as separate from the communities that we live in, because however much of our life we spend on a screen, Mm -hmm. um, we open our front door and we take our rubbish out or we need to go to the shop or we take our child to school or we take our parent to the hospital mm -hmm. or whatever. And we, we are flesh and blood beings mm -hmm. as well as, uh, you know, online. Yeah. And, um, and we're members of communities, whether, that, whether that's this weekend, we've got uh, street parties, uh, you know, to celebrate the Jubilee. Yeah. Or whether it, it, it's um, a community that is debating whether to have some more houses or to have a bypass or, or, you know, to close a local library. These are real communities and we have a global community as well. We can't avoid being part of communities. No. Now, in my view, 
that brings responsibilities. We we can't think of ourselves as just in 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 the commercial sense as being delivered to by mm. um, pizza companies or uh, book deliverers. Mm. Um, uh, that's fine in the commercial world, but in the in the public realm, we have to contribute to our communities as well. So that means paying taxes. Yeah. Um, however much we might not like it, mm-hmm. um, it, it means also obeying the law. Yeah. Because those those are the rules that are set for us all to make society as a whole uh, as benign as possible, so we can all rub along together with all mm-hmm. of our different characteristics. Um, for me, it also involves voting, because um, the the people that we choose to make decisions have a really d- difficult job to do. Yeah. If we if we give them our authority by all of us uh, contributing to that decision about who we choose, then they are more likely to represent everybody's views rather than only the people who vote. Yeah. Who tend to be political geeks like me. Yeah, and me. Yeah. <laughs> so if everybody were to vote, had to vote, you know, mm-hmm. so it's in my view an obligation rather than only a right. Mm. If everybody had to vote, then it's more likely that the people that we choose represent us all and therefore more likely that they make decisions that are better for everyone. So that's one thing I think uh, we ought to think about doing, as many, many countries do, Australia being the most notable example. Yes, compulsory voting. Compulsory voting, yeah, Yeah. 91% of the people of Australia vote. Yeah. Uh, And, um, you know, politics is just as difficult and dirty as it is everywhere else. But yeah. at least everybody has a say in who represents them. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I also think we ought to consider is, is contributing in an active way to the communities that we live in. Yeah. Rather than thinking somehow that it's somebody else's job. You know, we, we all live in a street. We have a local town. We have, um, you know, we have a, a country and, uh, and a world. And we, in my view, we can't just leave it to other people to sort out problems. We have to contribute, whether it's just picking up litter or uh, being on a, um, a, a governor at local school or doing some Meals on Wheels or, um, you know, chipping in in some kind of national uh, charity uh, that helps a, a group of people. Billions and billions of people do this all the time. You know, this is a common thing. Uh, volunteering is um, it's you know almost yeah. half the population do it yeah uh, and and many people um, you know there's all kinds of research showing how um, people who who volunteer and who contribute to their communities get a kind of high uh, by helping other people so you know it's it's a good thing for many many reasons and I think that uh, we ought to we ought to all all of us feel some kind of obligation to do that as part of what it means to live as a citizen in society. So, so I suppose of all the rules, this is the one that um, made me think the most because it's about us individuals and our own yeah. behaviours. But because it's about like individual choice and behaviour and rights and freedoms, how do we encourage or even legislate for it? So can we make rules where people have to, I can see how you make rules where people have to vote, but should we make rules where people have to spend a certain amount of time every week in their communities doing something productive? I totally, I totally agree that we shouldn't just sit back and be passive receivers and expect everything to just be delivered and come to us. It's just how, and I do agree that everyone should be contributing, 
It's just how do you make that happen in a way that everyone's comfortable with? It was a very good question. Very, very good question. And, um, you know, uh, when we've seen changes like this happen in the past, it's it's taken time. Mm. It's taken a lot of debate and it's and it's usually um, required a mix of legislation, laws and uh, changes in social norms. So, yes. you know, the example, the example that I give is of seatbelts in cars. You oh, know, right. okay. and yeah. when um, and when they were first proposed uh, that people should wear seatbelts in cars in the 1950s, uh, there was a lot of opposition about uh, how dare you uh, uh, inhibit my freedom to drive in this way. Yeah. Um, and slowly in some countries, um, Japan, I think, the West Coast of the United States, New Zealand, um, they introduced uh, seatbelts first by making it compulsory on car manufacturers to include seatbelts in cars. Yeah. So that it was there for those people who wanted to use it. Yeah. And then gradually requiring first the driver and then the driver and the passenger the front passenger seat and then everybody um, to um, to have seatbelts by law. But by the time all of that happened, which took decades, yeah, um, it became socially acceptable to wear seatbelts and not socially acceptable not to, because people could see the difference that it was that it was making um to mm. accident statistics apart from anything else so so that kind of change where nowadays um when everybody in most most countries not not, not all but most countries uh when people get into their cars they automatically put the seatbelt on it's and unthinkable if they don't, it feels very weird if you don't exactly forget, you know yeah. or your, your kid in the back seat says dad you've got to put your seatbelt on yeah concept. well our car you know? beeps at us if anyone's well, got their go. seatbelt off yeah so that's all normal now but it wasn't normal before so these changes do happen but they take time and they take a lot of debate and that's quite right because in democracies these things have to be talked about so so obviously what i've you know i've written the book and i've suggested some things but it's not it's it's for us collectively to decide what we think is the right thing to do but i do think that um contributing to the to the community is is partly about us recognizing that we're all members of the community and we should play our part mm. but it also will help uh, public services to, to improve if we're all contributing a little bit here and there yeah. because the the little money that there is will be better will go further if uh, if members of the community themselves are helping out in one way or another yeah okay so i think my reaction to that particular um suggestion of that particular rule speaks to something in the book when you say um you use the word preposterous you say oh um, it, it feels a bit like everyone's going to think the ideas I'm suggesting in this book are preposterous. So things like a global parliament, it feels really unachievable now. Mm. Um, so a bit like the seatbelts example, kind of what, what other lessons are there from history um, that would kind of stop us just seeing this as idealistic, I think, and, um, yeah. Well, um, history, is, history is good because it allows you to take a long-term view. Yeah. You know? and, um, and so... The Industrial Revolution, I keep on coming back to because, because it was a period of mass, massive social change and that led to the introduction of laws that would have been unthinkable only a few decades earlier on. So, for example, there was a, a new law proposed to say that children under the age of eight shouldn't be able to go down mines. You know, yeah. it's OK if you're over eight, yeah. obviously, but, uh, but under the age of eight. So, so or to uh, require schooling for children of a certain age, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, all of these are things, or relief for the poor, you know, who were previously 
uh, with industrialization um dying on the street basically mm-hmm. you know dickens writes about this yeah. uh, a lot very 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 eloquently and movingly so so uh, all of these changes were debated and there were people then who didn't want the new law to, because they wanted young kids to be able to go down their minds right. you know? yeah so these these changes were resisted and you know the proposals that working men should have the vote and women should have the vote, these were not completely they were not slam dunks in the way that we think that they sh- they must have been because it's so blinking obvious to us now yeah <laughs> but so they weren't obvious. at the time yeah they weren't at the time yeah. so so social change takes time and it takes uh, it takes debate and and um you know and that that's what we've got to do we've got to talk about how we can make our decision making adapt to the social changes that have already happened in exactly mm-hmm. the same way that our predecessors, you know, generations ago, had similar debates about how society in the UK and elsewhere should adapt to the changes of the Industrial Revolution. That was absolutely, I mean, you know, absolutely fundamental shift from an agricultural economy to cities, poverty, disease, and progress and um, wealth also. Mm. Mm. You know, all of those social changes that took place um, had to lead to changes in decision-making processes. They did. You know, we're, I mean, incredibly fortunate that um, that democracy has evolved in, in this way because it it made it um, it made it better. Mm. You know, and it's now it's time to make it better again. And 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 I make some suggestions in this book, but you know, there will be lots and lots of others. But I really hope that that that, that people here and elsewhere can can think about these things and and hopefully in due course you know this isn't this is maybe decades away yeah in due course you know think well how can we improve the way that we make decisions in this country and in the world yeah so that it's um we feel that that people that we have some agency over those who are making important decisions that impact on our lives and perhaps one day in decades to come, there will be a global parliament and people will be on a podcast somewhere saying, God, it's unthinkable that there ever wasn't a global parliament. How did we ever make decisions? Well, there you go. You know, yeah. this is true. It might feel bizarre to people yeah. in the future to think that um, the, the decisions that impacted us all were made by unaccountable um captains of industry tech companies yeah tech companies or you know the president of china russia and um and the united states who are the you know i mean obviously this is all massively complex geopolitically but um but you know those are the three most important decision makers in the world probably yeah and um uh you know just three three individuals and that is preposterous and will seem even more preposterous decades in the future perhaps um but to bring it back to the present Um, it would be helpful to think about how these rules could work in practice with like some real life examples. So how would having them in place have helped better decisions to be made during the pandemic, for example? Well, um, crises crises like the pandemic are always going to be difficult to manage, you know, Um, and and we've seen um, different countries with very, very different political systems handle handle them very differently. Uh, But um, a global a global problem like the pandemic um, could have, I believe, uh, could have been tackled better if we had a global decision-making forum that took account of everybody's needs. So, you know, obviously global parliament is, it's a long way away. 
but um, but it would represent everybody, including the billion plus people in China, mm. billion people in Africa, as well as in Europe, Asia, you know, uh, North and South America, et cetera, et cetera, all of those people's needs. And, and what we saw during the pandemic is that different countries responded in a different way, obviously, and some, yeah. some more successfully at different phases of the pandemic than others. But some people's needs were not met. And those tended to be those countries, uh, people in the countries whose leaders had little access to decision-making forums right. or little money. Yeah. So uh, that doesn't really seem fair um, because we're, we're, we're all... Um, we're all humans who mm. are equally subject to the virus. Some people actually more subject to the virus, but 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 we're all. Th- this is a this is a uh, an event that um, that did not take account of income. It was a it was a biological thing. Yeah. So uh, so I think that in this case, um, some better global uh, decision making forum particularly democratic one mm. would have been able to respond better than the, than what we saw in practice um you know some of the other some of the other rules may have been able to help if we have a, if we had a society where all of us felt an obligation to contribute yeah um you know then that might have um helped as well although i have to say you know here in the uk and many many other places people really really did an amazing job not yeah. just those people who are working in the NHS and elsewhere, you know, delivery companies, but, but, but many, many people who volunteered and helped, yeah. uh, including to, to deliver the vaccine. So, you know, it's, um, democracy is not an easy thing, you know? It's not easy because it's complex decisions being made by people on our behalf. But I really believe that it can be done better than we do it now. Yeah. The pandemic's a really interesting example, isn't it? Because you can use it to show what would have been better um, if we did have rules like this in place. But also, yeah, that thing of community involvement really played out in the pandemic. And it does show that, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe people should, maybe people should be a bit more invested in their immediate faces. Okay, so we've acknowledged that these are big changes and big changes that we'll get to um, with very small steps. Um, so this is my last question now. And you remind us at the end of the book that, changes to the rules of democracy won't come from a book, but they'll come from action. So what should our first steps be? And what can we as individuals do to support the evolution of democracy, the democracy that we need? Well, uh, obviously it'd be very nice for people to buy the book and have a think about it for themselves. I would uh, I would recommend that as the very, very first step. <laughs> Uh, because there are lots, lots of ideas in the book, um, yeah. and uh, you know, any individual will will maybe be taken by one more than another. Mm. Um, but uh, I think the, you know the answer to your question is that it's just to be engaged, you know, to care about democracy. You know, mm. it's um, it's easy sometimes with uh, the, the news cycle to get a bit disenchanted mm. um, and to think, oh, politics is rubbish, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but um, but politics is a is the way it, it's it doesn't look it doesn't look good sometimes i have to say but it's the way in which we make decisions and the alternative to democracy is having a dictator that's yeah. basically it you know and the poor poor people of russia and elsewhere you know who live in undemocratic societies have no choice over what decisions get made on their behalf mm. no yeah. choice at all and some of those decisions may be benign maybe 
um, you know, and uh, and China is often off offered as a model of um, um, a uh, autocratic society that um, that is better than alternatives. You know, however, however, it is likely that um, that uh, decision making in democracy is better because it does take into account everybody's expressed preferences. Oh, so, yeah. first thing I would say is people should care about democracy and protect it. Um, and then, uh, and then think about ways in which it can be improved. You know, which is which is partly about um, uh, voting. It's uh, and and um, you know, campaigning on issues that that, that you care about, uh, so that the people who are making decisions on our behalf respond to our needs. So, just get engaged. I would say to people, just get engaged in whatever it is that m most uh, matters to you, whether it's the environment or your local school, or or um, or some area of health policy, you know, it's it, it doesn't actually matter, but just engage in your community. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think if you have been disillusioned, the book really feels like a great place to start to re-engage and think about the future and those positive things we can just get on and do. Um, yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much, Marcel. It's been Very fascinating welcome. to talk to you. I really enjoyed it. Um, the Rules of Democracy by Marcial Bragadini Boo is published by Policy Press, and you can find out more on our website, which is policy.bristoluniversitypress.co.uk.